go ahead and grab a seat real quick. Welcome to the Vineyard. We are in our not a series uh, sermon series that we're not calling a series for no other reason than I don't want to call it a series and I didn't want to be in a series in case I wanted to kind of go off the rail just a little tiny bit and you, you might say, well, that's not what we were been talking about. It's like, okay, so we're not doing a series. But wow, what a great word. When the night is holding on. Man, what is it about when the night is holding on? It has been so crazy busy around here, and I mean in a good way. You saw the women's thing. You saw the college students getting back together. Uh, we'll talk about some other uh, things that have been taking place. But man, we are excited about what God is doing as we come back together and uh, continue to say, hey, Lord, what do you want of us in uh, Madison County in Central Kentucky as we're a part of the kingdom of God? And at the end of the day, that really is where we need to be. We need to be not saying, hey, Lord, I'm going to go do this. But we need to be saying, God, what is it that you want me to be a part of? What is my thing? Not what makes sense, what, not what, you know, seems like a good idea, but rather in a daily personal relationship with Jesus Christ, what is God asking you to do? Um, as a young pastor, I remember sitting in a church office out west and one of the scriptures that I came across, and I say this um, fairly often around here, but just, just grab a hold of it. It's written in red, but grab a hold of it and just begin to ask yourself, Lord, what does this mean to me personally? In John 8, 47, it says, those who belong to God hear God's voice. Now, Jesus is dealing with some people that are challenging him, and he's, he's being rude. He, seriously, he's being rude to them. And he says, the reason you don't hear God's voice is because you don't belong to him. And there's a time in my life, even as a pastor, that I began to ask myself, am I hearing from God on a regular basis? And I'm not talking about like when you wake up in the, in the, in the morning, does the foundation of your house shake and is there fire on top of the roof and the Shekinah glory in your bedroom? I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying in your personal relationship with God, do you hear him challenging you? Do you hear him convicting you? Do you hear him calling you? Because those are the things that stimulate growth in our lives. And a lot of times we stop growing when it gets dark. We just do. We need the sunshine and there's a you know play on words, S-O-N, S-U-N, but we need the sunshine. We need the light of God if we're going to continue to grow grow. And Christianity, walking with the Lord, is not about just a once and done, I got baptized. It's about walking with him. It's about being with him. Last word, Pastor, uh, last week, Pastor Janice had a great word for us. What is it going to take for you to throw in the towel too early? What is it going to take for you to give up? On the other hand, and I always hear Randy Travis when I say that, you know, saying, on the other hand, there's a golden band. Yeah. So anyway, but on the other hand, what is it going to take you for, for us to say, I need to go all in. I need to be right there. I need to say, Lord, what is it going to be? I need to be willing to let God look at my sin. I've got to be willing to get uncomfortable. I've got to be willing to get inconvenienced. Sound familiar like some of our words at the vineyard for the last couple of years? I need to be saying, God, change me. 
Restore me. Help me to walk away from an old way of life. Well, we're going to talk about that today. When the night is holding on to you, what's your response? What are you going to do? We're, we're in our Passion Week. It's all about Passion Week. And when we say Passion Week, we're not talking about, you know, just Jesus getting crucified, and crucified, hung on the cross. We're not just talking about that. We're talking about the whole week. We're talking about today is Palm Sunday. Man, MJ did a great job. She's got all the palms up here. It's funny because we, we sit in staff meetings sometimes and, and the staff will say to me, okay, so it's, uh, it's Palm Sunday. Are we doing the palm thing this year, Pastor Joe? And it's like, and, and then the, tomorrow they're going to say, okay, are we, are, we, are we solid on the lilies? Are we really going to do, it's like, you're going to fill this building up with, people are going to choke on lily smell next Sunday morning, okay? We'll have the EMT standing by and stuff, but you're going to choke on lily smell because lily smell to me is Easter Sunday morning, just like Christmas trees are Christmas, okay? And so, yes, you're going to smell, but I, she did a great job of getting some up here, and, and it just feels like, oh, something's happening. This is great, Lord. Thank you. So today, we're looking at the passion of the Christ, recognizing that it's not all on the cross. It's not just his death, but his passion, his passion, his actual passion is you. Passion is not getting beaten. Passion is the reason for getting beaten. Passion is not getting crucified. Passion is the reason you get crucified. You have a passion for the people. Not like, hey, hanging on a cross is passionate. It's not passionate. It's bloody, nasty, awful, and it's life-threatening. Okay? It always ends in death. All right? So that's not the passion. The passion is the why. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. You were the joy set before him. So the passion is the why. It's you. The scripture that we're going to look at today is in Matthew 26. Let me just give you a little background real quick. They've had the Last Supper, okay? They didn't call it the Last Supper. They had the Passover meal together. We call it the Last Supper, but they had the Passover meal together. And then they went out. They sang a hymn. Isn't that crazy? They sang a hymn together. Yeah? And then they went out to um, the Mount of Olives. Um, Jesus wants to do one last teaching with his disciples. He needs to get this in. So this is personal time with his disciples. He's like, friends, I have got to give you this prophetic word. I need to share this with you. And so we're going to look at five verses in the book of Matthew chapter 26 that just brings us to what I believe that God, what God wants to say to you today, okay? What he wants to say to me, what he's been saying to me all week because I, you know, I wrote this. So what he's been saying to me in Matthew 26, beginning of verse 30, when they had sung a hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives. That is how I knew, A, they had sung a hymn. That is also how I knew they had gone out to the Mount of Olives. Because I trust this book, and it says, after they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, okay? It really is that, re that easy to get into the Word, all right? So there it is. And then Jesus, as they're going out to the Mount of Olives, says to them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And then here's Peter. I love Peter. Peter. Peter's my guy. Peter's my I relate to you disciple, okay? He says, 
even if everybody falls away on account of you, Lord, I never will. It's not going to happen, Jesus. Just stop that business right now. I know I'm adding to it, but it's not like what John said, don't add to or take away. I'm not, I'm not taking it away from his prophecy. I'm just kind of making this a little more relevant for how I read this thing, okay? Peter says, if everybody abandons you because of who you are and what you're going through, not me, not me, I'll be there. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But B Peter declared, he's doubling down his bet, see? <laughs> Peter's horse died, now he's going to get off and beat it. Have you ever been there? I wanted to wear a dunce hat today, number one, because I got called out for having a supercharger on my car last week, <laughs> okay, but, you know, I sold a motorcycle and that paid for that, but anyway, and also because I wonder, how many times does God have to do something in our lives before we finally get it? <laughs> how many times do we feel like, oh, hey, dude, I get it now. And the Lord's like, I've been saying it to you for three and a half years. This is what I came for. It was for this reason that I came, to be crucified for your sins. And so Peter doubles down and he says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And of course, all the other disciples, not to be, not to be outdone, start doing the same thing. Oh yeah, yeah and us too, Lord, what Peter said. Um, you can count me in on that. It's never going to happen, Lord. It's never going to happen. I'm, I'm right there with Peter. Y you ever been in that crowd too? You ever seen it like this? Man, you all get together, all you Christian brothers and sisters, okay? You all get together and you're going to have a meal and you're sitting around the table. Somebody throws down some mashed potatoes because, you know, you got to have some mashed potatoes. And if it comes with ham gravy, what? Jesus has risen from the dead, okay? And so you eat the mashed potatoes. It's Easter. Mashed potatoes and ham and ham gravy is the deal, okay? It's the real thing next weekend. So, you, and you get that, and man, you're putting it on your stuff, and you start to eat, and then somebody at the other end of the table says, now let us pray, and you're like, oh yes, let us pray. <laughs> well, your mouth is full of mashed potatoes and ham gravy. You know, it's like, man, you got started a little early. Well, that's Peter. Peter's listening to what's going on, and he says, if everybody leaves you, I won't, and everybody else who's going to leave him says, well, we won't leave you either. We won't leave you either. See, everybody, every, oh, yeah, yeah, we need to be spiritual, and thank God for these mashed potatoes and ham gravy. See, that's what they're doing. And that's what's going on right there. This prophetic word comes <laughs> from the passage in Zechariah, and it tells them that they're all going to fall away. And here is Jesus fulfilling Scripture again. You know, depending on who you read, I read one article um, the last couple of weeks that says that Jesus fulfilled 351 prophetic utterances concerning the Messiah in the Old Testament that, that related to like 3,000, 4,000 words. If you go all the way back to... Um, um, the, the, the Adam and Eve in the garden, you go all the way back to um, the, the first prophetic pronouncement about Jesus when the scripture says that uh, the serpent will strike at his heel, but he'll crush the serpent's head. See? And he's fulfilling every single one of these things. To the point that we get to this place where Zechariah said, you're going to strike the shepherd and everybody's going to run. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, this is how it's going to be. This is what, as a matter of fact, is going to happen. And of course, in, in typical Peter fashion, he jumps up. He wants to be the hero. He declares that it's not going to happen. Absolutely not. He will not drift away. He will not fall away. And I'm reminded of Paul saying in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. Jesus has been saying it to Peter for three years. 
Three years in and out, he's been going to church with Jesus. He's been going, you know, Sunday he gets up and walks with Jesus. He's been going to temple. He's been in, in some, some pretty nasty situations where people wanted to kill Jesus. Um, he's been in situations where they took him up on a hill and wanted to throw him off, and Jesus walked out, and he saw that. Peter has seen some things. He has been there, and as this unfolds in front of him, um, we are reminded that we, we shouldn't be the part that abandoned Jesus. When the night gets dark, that's the time to hold on tight, because morning is coming. And we know that since the flood, the Lord said the seasons will come and go and come and go and come and go, because God said so. And we'll never have to suffer a worldwide flood again. So the focus here is on Peter, and we recognize that his challenges don't drift away. So Jesus' crucifixion was stepping the, the stepping off place for his disciples. They fled. They were supposed to be praying with him. Instead, they slept through the night. Jesus wakes up as the mob of soldiers led by Judas comes, and, and then they have this bigger interaction, okay? So he's had the dinner with them. They went out to pray. He tells them that you're all going to flee when, when, uh, when I get arrested, when, when the hammer comes down, you're all going to run. Peter, and then eventually all the rest, jump up and down and say, not us, not us. Okay, so he prays. We have, uh, depending on which account you're reading, he prays and they fall asleep. He prays and they fall asleep. He prays and they fall asleep. And you know, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough to pray as an individual, let alone get, you know, 12 other guys to pray with you. It is. Well, it'd be 11 to pray with you. And it's so easy when you're praying, especially when it's at night, if you're just like, you know, Lord, and thank you for the day, and pretty soon you're sleeping. And then when you're in small group and they talk about your personal time, you're like, I always fall asleep when I'm praying. I always fall asleep when I'm praying. Wake back up and start over. It's okay. It's all right. You're in good company. The disciples did as well. And then we come to this place, this stepping off place, I call it, where um, here comes everybody. And Jesus is like, wake up, wake up, wake up. Here they come. Here they come. Here they come. And then we have this situation, okay? I won't get overly into it, the ear and the thing like that, but let's just look at Luke's account. In Luke 22, it says, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. <clears throat> it's important that you look at the relationship of the disciples to the people that are in the Scripture. If you read John's account, you'll read that John was known very well by the people of the high priest's house. You, you, you look at this stuff and you say, oh, wow, so there's a relationship there. But look at this. Peter followed at a distance. So he hasn't left yet, but he's kind of following. He's still far away from them. When some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. So now Jesus is in the courtyard right over there. Somebody has started a little fire, maybe in a 55-gallon drum or something. Not really. They didn't have 55-gallon drums, okay? So maybe a little fire pit from Lowe's or something like that. They probably had something like that, okay? So they got a fire pit. It's a little cool. They're warming their hands in the fire of the world, okay? That's what's going on. See, it's warm where the world is. There's light. And everything. Everybody is together, and so here it is. They had sat down, and Peter sets down with them at the fire of the world. And a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him. That had to have been creepy. You know what I mean? 
Have you ever been in that restaurant where, you know, somebody keeps looking at you and they're just sure they, I, I've been there. It's like, it was probably me and you didn't realize it was me looking at you. It's like, do I know them? It's like, I think that's, you know, I can't tell from the mask, but it's like, you know, I, I think that's so-and-so over there. Well, go say hi. Well, I'm not going to say hi. What if I'm wrong? I'll be creepy, right? So here's Peter sitting at the fire and this servant girl looks over and she's, you know, she's not checking him out, but she's checking him out. It's like, hmm, I think I recognize that guy. And so the servant girl seated there in the firelight, she looks closely at him and said, this man was with him. This guy was one of the disciples. He's one of them. And he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. The him being Jesus. I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, hey, you're also one of them. Now, notice nobody's putting a question mark on that. Nobody's saying, hey, weren't you one of them? They're saying, dude, you're one of them. And he's saying, no. He does it again. Man, I am not. About an hour later, so he's sitting there for an hour. Jesus is being um, interrogated. He's being beaten. He's being treated horribly and outrageously. And even according to Jewish civil law, they've broken about seven legal um, um, uh, practices that they had in order to do this specifically. There's, there's seven illegal trials in the midst of all this. And so about an hour later, somebody asserts, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. So apparently, if you were born in Galilee, we don't care how old you were, you clearly are a follower of Jesus, and that's just how it's going to be. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The girl at first, then the guy, then an, an assertion from another guy, and then the rooster crows when Peter denies him the third time. And I have this underlined in my notes. Verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked straight at him. You ever been in that situation? You're trying to walk with Jesus. Something happens. You let your Christian guard down. You don't cross a, a moral line like you started suddenly sleeping around or something. But you cross a line you know you weren't supposed to. You have a conviction in your heart about something, and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. You get baptized. You get up. You're following Jesus in your humanity. And something happens, and all of a sudden it gets dark. And Jesus looks right straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. In the King James, I believe one of the accounts says, and it was night. It was dark. That's, that's kind of a, that's a big statement, isn't it? When we let Jesus down and we run from him and suddenly we find that we're standing in the dark. And we're like, God, I let you down. It, it says he wept bitterly. It doesn't say he went and had a little cry. You wonder if men cry? Listen, I believe that Peter was a man's man. You don't work the fishing boats and haul the nets day in, day out with, with dad and grandpa and stuff like that, that you don't become a man's man. And his relationship to Jesus, he loved him so much that when he realized that exactly what Jesus said was going to happen, happened, and he was guilty, 
He couldn't stand looking at Jesus across the crowd. And so he turned and he ran out into the night away from the fire. And he wept bitterly. Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times. And these are the things that I want to share with you. It is dark when we run for Jesus, run from Jesus. It's dark. When we let the world dictate to us what God has asked us to do, and they say no. When we are willing to listen to the voice of reason rather than the voice of our Savior, and we want to do what makes good logical sense instead of what makes good spiritual sense, it gets dark. And the darker it gets, the easier it is to stay hidden. We know the truth, but we're rebellious to the truth. We hide from the truth in the dark. Peter went to hide in his misery in the dark. We don't want people to see us. We don't want people to see our sin. We don't want people to see what we've been through, what we're going through. And so we withdraw and we hide in the dark. We hide where they're not there. We hide where we hope that they don't see us. But sooner or later, and I love this, the light comes looking for us. Because Jesus is the light. And sooner or later, he comes looking for us. Not that he didn't know where we were. He just lets us believe that we're hiding. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. He was right there in the midst of everything that Jesus was going through for you and I, in the midst of being made fun of, in the midst of being mocked, in the midst of being stripped, and then clothed, in the midst of having his beard pulled out, in the midst of having a crown of thorns beat onto his head, in the midst of all of that going on in his life. When that rooster crowed, he knew right where Peter was. He knows where you and I are today. He knows where we are when it's dark, either because the world is getting dark or because we're trying to hide. God knows where we are, and I love this about God. Uh, he knew where Peter was standing and sitting the whole time, and I was, I was telling people, or not telling people, I was writing down and thinking about my own life. Where is it that I know where people are? You know, every Sunday, um, I stand up here, that I get to stand up here, that I have the privilege of standing up here. I know where different people of you are, okay? So I know some of you are sitting in your wrong spot this morning, okay? But as I look out here, I also know there's people sitting in your spot. And I want to thank you for not glowering over them. You say, glowering, look it up, okay? Do a Google search, glowering. Don't stand over top of them and just, you know, like be patient, like, hey, new to the vineyard? Yeah? <laughs> it's my chair. I've been sitting there for four years. You haven't been here, have you? Yeah, it's my chair. That's glowering. You know, and, and you hear the jokes about it, people that have been in, you know, in a, in a denominationally based church for a hundred years. That's their spot in the pew, right? You know, and, and, so, and so I can see that. But listen, I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, what, what circumstance of my life is that in? I know where my wife is sitting right now. See? My wife usually is sitting right there. I know, if I'm up here preaching like this, I know just how much I have to turn my head to catch her attention. I mean, not to catch her attention, but to see her. You know why? Because she's my safe spot. You people scare me to death, okay? 
I know you don't believe me. I, I know you, you don't believe that I'm an introvert. I know that, okay? I just want you to know you scare me to death, okay? And so I do this every once in a while. You, you're going to start paying attention now. But I do this. She's not there, okay? She's, she's back a little bit. So I, I do this just so I can see her there and I can just keep moving forward. You're safe. Keep going, Joe. I play all these games in my head. But I know where she is. Jesus knew right where Peter was. She knew right where he was. He knew right where he was. Sorry, I'm saying it wrong. Rooster crows and Jesus does one of these numbers. Just And, it, and, and I, don't, I don't think he was going like that. I don't think he was doing that. I think there was brokenheartedness in the gaze of Jesus when he looked over at Peter. And it wasn't a, I told you. It was more of a, yeah, Peter. What you're going to do, go ahead and do. Because he knew Peter was going to run out on him as well. Adam and Eve were in the garden when they were hiding it. Did they really think God didn't know where they were? You know the story of Adam and Eve? He created them. They're in the garden. And he comes into the garden after they realize they're naked and they don't want to be seen naked. I, I mean, it's not like there's anybody else in the garden but them. And they're married, you know. So it's like, I don't know what the issue was. But they were naked. <laughs> and they knew it. And then they heard the footsteps of God. So they hid themselves and covered themselves with fig leaves and things like that. And then the scripture says, and God came into the garden and said, Adam, Adam, where are you? Do you really think God did not know where? He's got two kids. He's got Adam and he's got Eve. Just two kids. We've had five. There were days we didn't know where some of them were. At some point, have you seen so-and-so? And then we were like, oh, no, where are they? You know, and of course, you know, we're terrified. And then we have to, like, be really mad because if they scare you, you have to be mad so they know how scared you were for them. But they don't know you cared. They just thought you were mad. And, and you deal with that. But did you really think that God didn't know where Adam and Eve were? He put them in the garden. I don't think the garden was 50 million acres of U.S. Um, Fish and Wildlife Service park system. You know, I don't think it was a half acre out back with some, you know, peppers growing either. I, they were in the garden. But do you really think that God Almighty walked into the garden? He's like, man, where'd I put them? You know, they're here in the garden because the angel, you know, uh, Adam, yo! And you know when you heard that, if you were my age, you better be headed to the house. Okay, because the street light just came on. Well, the street light came on for Adam and Eve, but God knew where they were. We think that we can hide ourselves sometimes. In the, uh, says, then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from God among the trees. And the, God, and the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid and I, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And I love this. Who told you you were naked? You have eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from, didn't you? They could have eaten from the tree of life and lived forever. But that's the one that had to get moved and had, they had to be put outside the garden. So they didn't eat from that until they had that opportunity in heaven. To him who overcomes will be given the right to eat from the tree of life. It says in the book of Revelation. See? God knows. God sees. He loves. The book of Hebrews chapter 4 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered or open and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If I can go back to my early days as a Christian young man. God sees it all. And, and if we don't think that God sees it when we do it, check this out. 
Um, David says in Psalm 139, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I don't doubt that scripture. I actually believe it. I just don't understand why the Lord lets me live. Because he sees what I'm about to say. He sees what I'm about to type. He sees when I'm going to push the send button. And sometimes it would just be so much better for the kingdom of God if he just said, Joe, it is time for you to receive your reward. Welcome. Welcome to that which I prepared for you since the foundation of the earth. You're coming home today. You're messing up too bad. But he sees it. And listen, when we say that God sees our sin, some people will say, see, God saw your sin before you do it, and he forgave you, so it's okay. No, Easter is about the fact that your sin is not okay. It's not okay. We've got to be willing to say, God, my sin is not okay. That's why Jesus died. Because my sin's not okay. Because sometimes the words of my mouth and the attitudes of my heart are exactly not what God wants me to say or act like. And I've got to be willing to do that. In the book of John, Jesus makes the point that he, or I guess John kind of does, Jesus did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knows what's in each person. He knows the sinful humanity that's in here struggling. I wrestle with that. The new creation is fighting against the old creation, still trying to clean house. And then we get the devil coming at us from different angles, and so we still got that going on. God knows it's tough. He's not up there condemning me. He's not got a switch in his hand, and he's waiting for me to screw up so that he can teach me because I need to learn. And so, you know, there's a parenting style where you just sit back and wait for your children to do something wrong and then just pounce on them like a panther. And then they're like, ah! And then they won't do it anymore because the adrenaline has rushed into their system. That's not good parenting. And so why we think God does that, I don't understand. But Jonah learned this lesson in a hard way, in the belly of a whale. He thought that he could hide from God and go the other way. Elijah learned it hiding in a cave. He's not hiding from God. He's hiding from that woman Jezebel. But he's not hiding from God. And King David learned it when he answered his door one night. And he swung the door open. And that's the second thing I want to share with you. When we run away from God out into the night, and it's dark in our heart, it's dark. It's dark. God will tell someone on you. Can I say that? You think, I'm going to go over here and sin. I don't care anymore. I don't want to be a Jesus follower. I'm just going to sit over here and do what I want. Do you think God's going to give up on you that fast? He's not going to send somebody over here to say, hey, I think you might be living in sin, or can I just talk to you a little bit about, you know, what you said or did, or can, I, can we have a discussion here? Can we do this? Because God does that. You remember that whole the Bathsheba incident? You remember that? With David and that one guy's wife, Uriah, and how he, you know, was deceitful and dishonest 
and just just downright immoral. And then he, he has sex with her, and then he gets her pregnant. Then he's got to try to figure out a way to get her to, string, uh, to sleep with her drunken husband so he can pretend it's that guy's baby. And then the husband won't sleep with his wife because of his, his you know, integrity. And so and then he's got to find a way to get the guy murdered. So he gets him murdered. And then he says, there, we got that taken care of. And then there was that night. He answers the door, and the prophet Nathan is standing there, and the prophet Nathan says, David, we have got a problem. There's a man's got some sheep, and somebody keeps taking the sheep. Now, the man that's taking the sheep's got a whole lot of sheep, and this guy's just got one little sheep he brought into his house, and his little kids love it, but he took it to feed his friends. And David says, kill the man. And Nathan looks him right in the eye, and he said, David, you are the man. Whoa. Do I really think that God doesn't see my sin? Do I really think that God does not know what's inside of me? That it's okay for me to be honest with God. The reason God will send a prophet to you is because he doesn't want you carrying the weight and the sin around. It's not because he's mad at you. Nathan didn't show up and say, I'm going to tell you right now. He showed up to say, God wants you to let go of this sin and to repent of this sin. And Psalm 51 is David's repentance. God's not beating you and I when he calls us out, when he sends somebody into our lives. God is, is remembering the cross where he said, let me have this. And don't pick it back up. He didn't free us from sin so we could run back to it. He freed us from sin so we could stand up to it. And that's what he wants to do in our lives. He wants our lives to be full, blessed, highly favored, but so often we sell out for the cheap meal at the drive-thru. Whether it's what we want now, our house, our car, our career, our relationships, sex, um, you know, whatever it is, we settle for the cheap and the worldly and the now instead of saying, God, we need to do this your way. And it's important for us to do it God's way. We live in a world where people are waiting for you to step out of line so they can jump down your throat. They want to they prove to you that Christianity doesn't mean a thing because you keep failing. At home, at work, in your politics, your cultural beliefs, certainly this pandemic, and, and just the straight-up truth of Scripture. You know, I, I just saw an ad this morning for a pair of Nike tennis shoes. Google that. Google Nikes from hell. And I don't mean Google it right now because we're having a conversation. This is about Jesus time. Okay, put your phone away. You better be on you version. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. But when you leave here, go see. Go see. Because it looks a little rough. And that's the world we live in. But God sends Nathan because he, the Nathans into our lives because he loves us. And thank God for the Nathans. Thank God for the people that will sit down and say, hey, can I talk to you? Can I ask you some questions? Not can I make statements and condemn you? Can we talk, man? Looks like life's getting a little rough for you. When they come, it's because God wants healing for us. Last thing I want to share with you this morning is God is waiting for you to come home. And that's the whole point. It really is the point of Peter. It's the whole point of, of the story of Peter. And we know that because Jesus had a conversation with Peter before it took place. And, and I love that. 
We've been dancing with sin for too long. It's like the story of the prodigal son. We've been wallowing in the mud with the pigs. We come to church, we watch online, but the stench of our sin just goes ahead of us and it chokes us out. And sometimes it's just heavy. It's just a heavy weight that we're dragging and we can't get it away from us. But God is waiting. He's not waiting for us to be perfect. He's not waiting for us to be without fault. He is waiting for us to come to him. God is waiting on you, waiting for you to see it, waiting for you to smell it, waiting for you to get tired carrying it around. He's not mad. He's not angry. He's not even upset. But he's waiting. And I love in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, it says, and when he came to his senses, and I would just encourage you to underline that in your Bible. Seriously. Every time I get a new one, I go to Luke 15, 17, and I underline. But when he came to his senses, because there's a time in all of our lives, there's times in all of our lives, not when we come to our senses and we surrender ourselves to the Lord. That certainly is one of them. But when we come to our senses and we realize we're not growing, when we come to our senses and we realize I'm not hearing from God, when we come to our senses and we begin to ask ourselves, is what I'm doing taking me away from God or taking me closer to God? When we come to our senses and we say, are these friends that I'm surrounded with people that are helping me to be more holy or less holy? We come to our senses. How many of my father's hired hands, servants, have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. You feel like you're spiritually starving to death? Have you been over in the shadows? I know there's shadows up here because I keep getting warmed about them, but I can't find them now because he's doing a good job. We're over in the shadows, and God's waiting on us. He's been watching you for a long time because nothing's hidden from God. So it's okay. He's been standing on the porch like the father in the story of the prodigal son, watching, waiting, searching the horizon for your form because he knows you're coming and he's waiting right now. He's seen you. God has seen you from a long way off. Years and years and years ago, he saw you come up here this morning for prayer. So he got up and went to his father, this prodigal son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him. And this is where Jesus gets a little more offensive. Because remember, the kid was playing with the pigs. That was super offensive. This is also offensive. He was filled with compassion and he ran to his sons. If he was a good father, he wouldn't run. He would maintain his order. But he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him because he needed him to know that he loves him. And he's been waiting for him to come home, to leave the pigs, to leave the mire, to get back up. God is wanting to restore you and I every single time. That's not permission to keep sinning. We need to be working at it. It is permission to get back up every time you fall and come back to God. Every time. And to get back up with confidence. He's not rejected me. I've rejected me. How can I keep doing this? Because he said so. 
seven times, 70 times a day. Get back up. I would that you could stop sinning. I, I, I really do. But I'm not going to try to teach you to not sin. Don't sin. <laughs> okay. Pastor Joe gave us permission. No, he did not. Listen to me. Get back up. Just please get back up. When you find out you're drifting and you're in the shadows and you're not hearing from God and you feel lonely and afraid, get back up and get somebody to pray over you, to pray with you, to sit down and just cry and weep and, and come back to God with confidence. Jesus saw Peter deny him from a long way off. Luke 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat to put you through the mill. And some of you have been through the mill, haven't you? You've been through the mill in the last 12 months. You have. I've heard your stories. I see you online. Some of you know I've been through the mill. Well, I'm just a, a, a people like you. But I have prayed for you. What about that? Jesus prayed for Peter. Jesus did. Jesus prayed. I had James and John pray for you. It's like, no. Jesus said, Peter, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus said, I know you're going to come back with confidence. I know you're going to come back with power. I prayed for you. You're mine. So strengthen the church. Strengthen the other 10 disciples. Strengthen the new guy that they're gonna call, you're going to call, but you don't know it yet. Strengthen them. Peter, I know it's dark where you are right now. But strengthen them when you come back. I want to encourage you today. This is a day to understand that the passion of the Christ is for you personally. And that if you recognize the dark that I'm talking about, the weight that I'm talking about, the sin that I'm talking about, the loneliness that I'm talking about, then this is a morning for you to be prayed for. This is a Hosanna day. This is not a died day. And so these people are right here and they want to pray for you. They do. Don't be too proud. No matter what it is, don't be too proud to say, hey, I need some prayer today. I do. I don't want to leave without getting my share from the kingdom of heaven. I want that prayer. I'm going to pray and we're going to go into a time. We're going to go into our last worship song, but these people are going to be here. And during that worship song, you just come right on up here. Stand in line if you need to. But stay, just, I'm not leaving, Pastor Joe, till I get my fair share. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Jesus died for me. I have confidence. These people want to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, who is God in heaven, we want to thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for this message, Lord, that Peter was right there, that you saw him, that when he left you, it was dark, that you knew where he was, that nothing was hidden from you, that you understand what we're going through, but you are waiting for us, that the forgiveness is ours, the mercy is ours. If we'll just confess our sins, you are faithful and just, just to forgive us from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness all <clears throat> thank you for the righteousness of Christ that is our legal position between you our father in heaven 
come Holy Spirit and put your arms around us this morning for we would be your children. We would recognize that we are your children and we would step back out of the shadows into this light. Teach us to let go of that which is holding us back, that we're, we're carrying God and to give it to you. We release this right here upon this congregation and to those of you that are at home still watching. We speak against the fear, Lord. We speak of the life and the joy that's in you, in Jesus' name. Amen.